Anyway, let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, thank you that you're our provider. Thank you for all things that are good and and lovely that come from you, uh, the creation that tells us about you and all the good things you've given us to enjoy. Thank you for this time to visit together and share a meal and talk about the things that uh, concern us and our relationship with you. And we thank you that we get to do this here at Kim Ray. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Last time I talked about how God has a grand plan. And that was to make us in his image. So if we remember what the primary objective is in any life endeavor, it helps us along the way. I think I might have told you all last time, at least I told one of the groups that, you know, when I would go shopping with my wife and kids at times, maybe we were going to buy, I don't know, a new swimsuit or a bicycle or whatever. And we get in the store and they had them, but it wasn't the one that that particular family member wanted. And so we go to a different store and then a different store. And I'm thinking, well, just buy that one. That was a good one. And, you know, uh, the objective in my mind was buy the thing and go home. <laughs> You know, put an end to my misery of shopping. And, um, but I found out along the way that, ooh, the food just got here. So it'll be coming to your table soon. Um, I found out along the way, if I changed my reason for being there from find the thing, buy it, and take it home to spend time with my wife or kid, then it really didn't matter how long it took. I was accomplishing the objective, which was spending time with my wife or kid instead of getting... Now, my back still hurt. Did yours hurt when you stand around in a store all day long trying to look at stuff? Anyway, it felt that way. Um, Well, it seems that for me over the years as a child of God, not realizing what his objective was so that I could be in tune with that, Um, I found myself frustrated um, because I I was thinking he was trying to do this when in reality he was doing that, okay? And it seemed like what he would... And this for me was happy life. Life without stress, no problems, you know, everybody's good shape, no sickness, whatever, no hardship, no um, enemies in life and all those kind of things. Well, it turns out that if that's what I thought life was supposed to be according to God's design, I had a lot of reasons to be frustrated. You know, I'd ask God to keep harm from happening to anybody I love, you know, be my wife or kids or whatever, and harmful things would happen to us, either emotionally or physically or, you know, whatever, and maybe sometimes in a relationship. And so I'm thinking, what did I do wrong? You know, is God failing or am I failing? Well, you know, the right answer is God never fails, so it must be me. And so how do I do better in order to get God to do better? Do you see anything wrong with that last statement? (laughs) God's character is not dependent upon mine. Okay, God's going to be God whether I cooperate with him or not. His character doesn't change based on my activity. His remains the same. All right, so... 
uh, if he's making us to be like him, ultimately he wants our character to be consistent. Now, here's the big difference between God and us. Well, one of them is he's God and we're not. <laughs> and he's been doing it for eternity and he's really, really good at it. And we've just really got, gotten started and we're not so good at it. Okay, so if he is patient all the time, because he is a patient being, uh, but me, I'm not so patient all the time. Sometimes I get impatient. You know, I'm kind of like Indigo Montoya in that movie, Princess Bride. I hate waiting. <laughs> right? He just, you know, when the guy told him he had to wait, I, I hate waiting. Okay, so, uh, and I've read in the Bible where people would get impatient and they would run ahead and do things because God seemed to be slow and it caused problems. Uh, so, you know, maybe we need to learn from God that there's a right time for certain things to happen and there's a right way for them to happen. And so there's two things that have struck me about this plan God has to make us in his image. And he tells us that in Genesis 1, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So he created us to be like him. Now, eventually we'll talk about, well, then what went wrong? Because I see a lot of people that aren't any, anything like God at all. And we talk about there's, the, there's this image of God in every human being, kind of. Uh, but because of the fallen nature of the world we live in that we're born into, that image is radically distorted. And so you see people that live out a character quality of life that is so different from God, it's almost ridiculous. Um, all right, so, but he's still on task. We looked at that in Romans 8 last week, and he's doing this, that he would be the firstborn among many, and he's conforming us to his image, the image of his son, Jesus. So he would be the firstborn among many. So he's still on task. He's still doing that. All right, so I, I think I mentioned this last week, but I'm going to say it again. Uh, there's two big ideas that we have big words for that are actually really simple in meaning. Uh, theology and anthropology. Theology literally is a word that means words about God. What do you say about God? And anthropology is simply a word that means what do you say about man? It's words you say about man. It really reveals what we believe. Theology reveals what we believe about God. And anthropology reveals what we believe about man, human beings. And everybody is a theologian and everybody is an anthropologist because everybody has some belief about God and some beliefs about human beings. Okay, so whenever a person tells you what they believe to be true about God, that's their theology. And whatever person tells you the words that they believe about human beings, that's their anthropology. All right, so um, if I'm going to understand what God made and is making. He, he did something and he's continuing to perfect or complete it. Um, and it's like him, then it's most important that I get to know him. Because if I get to know God for who he is, I will get to know what he's doing in me. And when he describes himself in the Bible, now here's the deal. The only perfect theology is what God says about himself. Remember, that's what 
So what God believes and says about himself is perfect theology. And the only perfect anthropology is what God says about man, because he's our creator. You know, humans out throughout the years have come up with all kinds of ideas. You know, like, for instance, if they say, I don't believe God exists at all. Well, that's their theology. God doesn't exist. And if God doesn't exist, then they have their own way of thinking about man. Man was just, you know, went from goo to zoo to you. We just were some random collision of amino acids that I'm not sure where they came from in some swamp somewhere that eventually turned into a, a little gooey looking amoeba thing. And then eventually it's you and me <laughs> with a lot of steps in between over millions and millions of years. Okay, that's their anthropology. Uh, if there's no intelligent creator that started this thing with intelligent design, uh, Darwin himself said, when you open the cell, any individual cell, if it's very, very simple, two or three parts, then I think evolution is possible. It came from random chance. But if you get inside the cell and it's complex, there's a lot of complexity about it, a lot of moving parts, a lot of things that had to be in place before it could be a living cell, then everything I said about evolution has to be false. Well, they open the cell. And it's like a General Motors plant. It's extremely complex. The simplest one cell organism is extremely complex on the inside. And what they found out, if you take out any one of the extremely complex number of parts, the cell ceases to live. So all the parts had to be assembled complete at the beginning. It's like the valve that has the little pilot plug in the middle. You could build that valve and leave that pilot plug out. Is it going to work? Well, no, it won't work without it. There's a lot of parts you could leave out and it would look like a valve. But without any of those parts, it won't work properly. Well, that's the deal with the cell. And there's, there's thousands of parts in there. I mean, they found little shuttlecraft that fly around. And they're like, they pick up a little piece of something over here, and they fly over here, and they put it over there. They're kind of swimming around inside the cell. And some of them look like forklifts and conveyor belts. And then some parts of it take the DNA, and they unravel it. And they put it back together in a different order. It's the same parts, but a different order. And it, instead of being a brain cell, now it's a fingernail cell. <laughs> you know, it's the same DNA, but it, it has a different arrangement of the parts, so it becomes a different part in your body. And there's, there's little things going on inside the cell that do that, so that you don't randomly start growing a bone where you're supposed to grow soft tissue. It's being programmed to work in that spot a certain way. Anyway, I go into all of that because God is very specific about how he does things. And uh, as, as fascinating as the physical realm is, let me put it this way. When I was a builder, sometimes we would go through a lot of effort to build a set of concrete forms, right? But they were never meant to be permanent. You know, it took a lot of time, effort, energy, and money to build those forms. We were just going to tear them apart at the end, sometimes throw them away. Sometimes you could reuse them again a few times, but then eventually they were real good for forms. They'd been used too much and they warped or whatever, you know, the plywood and, and different things. They were just expendable. 
All right, so the physical realm is like that to God. It's, a, it's an expendable resource that is never meant to last for eternity, um, and it certainly isn't. But the spiritual aspect of our being is eternal, and that's what he cares about. So he is using this physical realm to teach us stuff. You know, Romans 1 says, the things that have been made tell us what God is like. Uh, his invisible nature, his his unchangeable attributes. It does that in Romans chapter one. All right, so I can look at the trees and the the birds and whatever else, and I can see something of the nature of God. He's creative. He's purposeful. Uh, he likes beauty, um, uh, reproduction. You know, you ever thought about how many seeds are produced on the planet every year from all the trees and all? You know, when the cottonwood at my place sheds and there's cotton everywhere and every one of those little pieces of cotton is a seed well if all of them came up we'd have a lot of cottonwood trees right but fortunately only a few of them come up once in a while uh or you'd be covered with cottonwood trees and oak trees and because we had one well a couple different years we've had a bumper crop of acorns you couldn't believe we were hauling them out and literally in truckloads raking them up in the yard because the trees were dropping so many acorns <laughs> And we, we did make a big pile one year and left it sit there and they all sprouted. <laughs> there was like a like a chia plant, only the chia seeds were really big. <laughs> you know, these chia things that you grow the little seeds on the anyway, so we dug them up before they all turned into massive oak trees and put them on the burn pile. But the deal is God's re is is creative and he's reproductive. Firstborn of many brethren, Christ was born. And we're born again, and he wants to bring a lot more people into his family through this process of new birth. And so he's doing all this on purpose. So the important thing about knowing God, for me, is that I don't trust somebody I don't know. Okay, it's very important that I know somebody before I actually just trust them. And the more I know somebody, I know they're trustworthy, I know they're honest, I know they're not perfect, you know, on human level, but the more I know them, the more I'm, I'm inspired to trust them or not trust them. You know, sometimes you learn things about people and you go, well, I'll never trust them again. <laughs> or not until they maybe grow up a little bit and change or something. Um, but God is who he is and he's never going to change. All right, and the whole relationship we have with God is rooted in faith. All right, so if God is making me like him, there's, there's kind of a two-part process there. Just like a baby is born human, but they learn how to live human, you know, do things that humans do. Uh, when you're born again, you're born a child of God, but as we get to know our Father, the one we're like, and trusting more, we begin to live more like he lives. That's character. That's uh, love one another as I have loved you. Um, we're to serve. You know, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. All right. So growing up and being mature is laying down, if you will, my life for someone else's. Greater love than no one this. They lay down his life for his friends. So that part of loving others as he loved us is putting someone else first. It's showing preference to our wife and our children, uh, people who have a need that costs you and I something as a parent, as a friend, as a 
child of your elderly parents, whatever, it costs us something to serve that other person. That's maturity. That's putting someone else's need above our own, which is what Jesus did for us. And so, okay, if I'm going to do that, and he wants me to do that, I have to trust that he knows what he's talking about. The best example of this in all of Scripture is the night before Jesus was arrested, the night he was arrested to be crucified. He's in a garden of Gethsemane and he's praying, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He knew his father so well that he would trust him to such an extent that he would do what the father wanted him to do, even though Individually speaking, it might have been the thing he least wanted to do ever. Because he knew what was getting ready to happen to him. And he didn't have a crummy will. You know, Jesus didn't have a rotten, fleshly, sinful will. He, so when he said, not my will, but your will, what he said was, not my righteous, holy will, Father, but your righteous, holy will. Because he was righteous and holy. There wasn't anything wrong with Jesus' will. But he trusted his father so much that he was willing to do whatever the father asked him to do, no matter how much it cost him. Because he knew what it was going to do for you and me. You see, he knew that that was the objective. In order for man to be like us, I have to solve their sin problem because I'm the only one who can do it. I have to remove the thing that keeps them broken and restore them to health and relationship with the living God, my Father. And this is the only way it can be done. Um, Galatians says, if a law could have been written that would have made man righteous, then Christ died needlessly. Okay, so if there was some rule you and I could follow that God would say, okay, you're righteous, then Jesus didn't need to die. But it also says, by works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. All right, so... The laws were not given to make us righteous. They were given, we'll talk about this a lot in the future, but they were given to show us we were unrighteous. They're like a bright light in a room. All right, so the only way you and I can be righteous before God is Jesus had to give us his righteousness in exchange for our unrighteousness. So he took our unrighteousness to the cross and in exchange he gives us his righteousness as a gift. It's not something you earn. Um, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away and the new has come. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. All right, so this is a, this is a great exchange. And that's how the restoration of God's plan takes place in you and me. He puts this new nature in us, but then through a relationship, he teaches us about himself so much so that we trust him more and more each day. So as a new child of God, I learn to trust him and live more like him by faith in the moment. You know, so what do I do, you know, when it looks like uh, my wife does not deserve for me to love her like Christ loved the church? Well, did the church deserve to be loved like Christ loved the church? No, but he loved us anyway, all right? So Christ living through me is going to love my wife like Christ loved the church. And my part is just to trust him to the point that I let my voice speak his words and my hands do his actions, to be kind and loving and encouraging and honest and whatever else goes into that. 
All right, so I was going to talk about God's character. It never changes. Knowing Him is the most important thing there is because we're knowing more about the person we have to trust, and we're also knowing more about what we're becoming. You know, God is kind. The Bible says He is. Okay, the more I know about God's kindness, the more willing I am to trust Him to be kind through me. And so, when I open my mouth and speak to my enemy, I say kind words to them rather than get even words with them or something like that. Because uh, we don't know, we don't trust someone we don't know. And so knowing him is so important. Uh, if you look at Philippians 3, Paul talked about giving up everything. He said that I might know him in the power of his resurrection. And uh, trust is the goal and maturity is the only possible way uh, it's only possible for the for the born again to really grow to maturity is not something that, that any human being can do. You can only do that with a new spirit in you. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. Basically, why? Well, because that's the only way to get there. Okay, the un the unborn again, the lost people of this world, as much as they would like to be maybe like God, they can never be like God apart from Him. Um, it's like there's a missing part in here. And without God in me, that part is like the pilot plug being gone out of the valve. It can never do what it was designed to do without that part. But without Christ attached to you by the Holy Spirit living in you, and me, we can never be like God. We can never grow to that kind of maturity. We may act outwardly righteous like the Pharisees did, but he said, man, you guys are dead on the inside. You need life on the inside. So all of that we'll talk about as time goes on, but God's plan really is good. And getting to know him helps us understand his plan and trusting him more helps us live out that plan daily.